I think when you tell strangers or, or coworkers though that you have a podcast, oh, and I've been doing this since before podcasts were cool, they think it'll they're like, oh, so what do you talk about? Is it like, you know, race in America or um true, you know, some uh, true crime things to cook, things to cook for your children. You you, you have some kind of great uh great hook that I can enjoy your podcast. And I'm like, well, if you went to a small college and you really like football, you would love our podcast. Uh, but if you're looking for like political commentary of the day, probably not your thing. Yeah. I think all good podcasts have a niche for some people. That's just like a niche of people who like say true crime. And that's like, I don't know, 50% of humanity for us. It's like 0.1% of humanity, but uh you know, there's people for whom this is the only podcast, I suspect the only podcast they listen to. It's definitely the only podcast that talks about the things that we talk about. It's true. And it's it's also the first that I've ever uh, subscribed to, been involved in, stayed with for 12 plus years. So it's uh, it holds a special place in my heart. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the twice-weekly podcast about the largest division. Oh my God, it's huge! Of college football, we welcome you to podcast number 255, the one with November. It's season 13, number 17, the podcast for November 1st of 20 to 19. That's not, a, that's not how that works. 20 to that's 19. A score. <laughs> that's a, we'll keep that in. Good game. It's a. It'll be a great game. I would love to watch that game. Maybe we'll see that here, coming up in Week Nine. But uh, I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com, and I'm Keith McMillan, the person who never had a chance to clinch an automatic qualifier. That's true. People our age never had a chance to clinch an automatic qualifier in the sport of Division Three football. We are very glad that you know. For those of us who are, you know. Xers and old Xers ish at that. I don't want to think about what's older than Xer because those people get roundly booed. But, uh, you know, you were a, a someone who played or went to a school in the 90s. You had a 16 team bracket to compete for, no automatic bids, almost no shot at getting the playoffs unless you went 10 and 0. Now, uh, of course, 32 teams in the field, 27 automatic bids, maybe too many, but the first of those could be handed out this weekend, and we'll talk about that coming up in a few minutes as well of course on this podcast as we get you ready for the week nine games we'll uh, talk about games to watch we'll also be joined by greg thomas who will talk us through some of the nuts and bolts of the bracketology the uh, mock regional rankings that we posted on d3football.com on thursday morning we'll talk a little bit about that process and for those of you who have only followed the uh, d3football.com top 25 yeah it's a little different it it might be a little strange but we have that to come up with and to talk to but uh, keith a little bit about the change in season and obviously not the change in the season of football but the change from when you get you know coming up here you're gonna have uh, we'll have the switch back to standard time the lighting will change uh, back in the old days people who didn't have lights you know, practices really changed at that point in the season. Sure. And and a lot of times didn't have a, a turf field with, that you could use for uh, field hockey, soccer, lacrosse, and football as, as well. So that not only did you have a uh, shorter practice time, but there was there were fewer, fe- there was less field time on campus to go around. So you're really 
compressing those practices. And, and now um, practice still gets over quickly. And to be quite honest, you should know what you're doing at this point in the season. And so practice should be uh, you're basically looking at the tendencies of your opponent, putting in things that are specific to this week's game plan, and then just review. You know, you'll do like a blitz period, pass skeleton, certain things like that. But you shouldn't be – there's a lot of stuff you can take out of practice that's repetitive early in the season where you need those reps, and then later in the season you bake it down, you boil it down. And uh, I think similarly our podcasts get – a little tighter at this time of the, uh, or maybe they get a little longer this time of year, yeah. but they, the focus gets a little, a little better because this is honestly where we specialize in taking this national picture and making sense of it to people who don't necessarily follow the ins and outs as closely as we do, or to people who follow one conference really closely or one team really closely. And they may know uh, Cal Lutheran or St. John's or Maine Maritime much better than either you or I know it, Pat, but, but nobody can take, where those particular teams stand, put it in context, look at at whatever the uh, the, the playoff selection committees are going to look at and make it make sense to, to listeners and to readers the way Greg and you and I and the other folks on, on D3Football.com do. So whether if you're brand new, if you've done this before but you need a refresher, or if you've been with us since the beginning, this is really crunch time. And as we turn the calendar to November, making sense of the playoff picture – the week 11 rivalry games, the conference championships that'll be sorted out here in week nine, 10, 11, and then anything else that uh, that the end of the season brings is really where we specialize. This is our best time of year. So uh, so stick with us on both uh, Friday podcasts and then back on Monday. And we'll talk a little bit more about what to expect coming up this weekend. But uh, before we do that, I have to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by Gotta Have It. And that's Gotta Have It Fanfoams.com. The, uh, you know, the fully licensed wall fan foams that uh, three-dimensional look at your, uh, you know, your team. If you're a Division Three fan, we add a new team to the roster this weekend. Uh, thank you for joining us, Lake Forest. I know when uh, Jim Catanzaro was on podcast number 242, uh, he mentioned that uh, he'd like to see one of these for Lake Forest. It is coming. So that is great news. And, of course, joining uh, folks like Mary Harden-Baylor, Mount Union, Johns Hopkins, UW-Whitewater, East Texas Baptist, uh, just in time for holiday shopping. So if you've got a, a friend who's a Division Three fan uh, in your family on your giving list, now is the time. Get them now. And I'd like to also add that advertising on the podcast makes a difference. Lake Forest is now in, in the run. And, and Pat, as you mentioned a couple couple weeks ago, there are Mary Harden Baylor folks on uh, on Twitter who were uh, opening their, their Gotta Have It fan phones um, and, and quite likely directly uh, heard about them from us. So uh, for other folks who have products who you'd like to really reach directly to the coaches, to the players, and to the parents and, and other fans who follow D3 closely, this is your best spot. Yeah, and if you want to get one of these for your program, if you're a, a coach or a marketing director or someone who's in charge of that sort of thing for your school, for your athletic department, for your alumni association, go check out all the information that's available at gottohaveitfanfoams.com and let them know that d3football.com sent you. All right, one big head-to-head matchup coming up this weekend, Keith, that's going to decide the Liberty League automatic qualifier between Ithaca and Union. We'll hear a little bit more about that game coming up 
in a little bit when we do our games to watch. But also, the MAC can be clinched this weekend. It can basically be clinched only by Delaware Valley this weekend, but they can do so with a win at Alvernia because uh, DelVal is a, a game up on three teams in the MAC who uh, DelVal has already beaten. And then uh, the Aggies have a bye week next week, finish the uh, regular season with Widener, who is uh, more than a game behind. So basically, uh, DelVal very much in the driver's seat in the match. Could that someone be Mac the night? And, uh, as they should be, that, that's a team that basically is a four-overtime loss to Wesley away from, from being undefeated and uh, is probably going to get a pretty good uh, playoff draw based on where they are geographically and what they've done to date this season if they're able to finish things out. This is the kind of thing we'll really get into the to the weeds with in a few minutes here with uh, with Greg, and then um, you know as the the rest of the podcast and the rest of the season goes, um, taking a look at teams uh, where they can they'll end up because a lot of the drama, to be quite honest, Pat will be will be sorted out in the way you just mentioned bids clinched by teams. Right, twenty seven of the thirty two playoff bids will be clinched automatically by conference winners. So we'll spend a lot of time talking about those other five, the at-large, because that's where the drama is. But also that same criteria that is used to select the final five is also what's used to seed the 32. And that help, seeding is, doesn't just determine um, who you get matched up with, but also who plays at home and um, who potentially could match up further down the line. Uh, and then, of course, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about travel and some of the new implications of um, the rule where conference teams won't rematch in the first round. And so there'll be a lot of, lot of bracketing fun coming, coming up soon. But I think right now, Pat, that the, the clinchers you mentioned, and then there are so many games in week nine that can put a team in the driver's seat, but there's still a third team lurking that could mess everything up in week 10 or week 11. Yeah, and there are a couple of instances where a team could clinch with a win and some help from somebody else. Uh, one of those, notably uh, WPI, could clinch if they win against MIT on Saturday and Springfield also loses. Uh, we're not going to go through all of those scenarios. Uh, there are a couple of other. There's a good head-to-head -head game in the Commonwealth Coast Conference between Endicott and Western New England where somebody will be in the driver's seat at the end of the afternoon, but uh, Nichols sitting there one game behind plays Endicott in the final week of the season and could uh, could force one of those dreaded three-way ties. Folks, you're going to ask about what happens in a three-way tie. In a three-way tie in your conference, your conference's rules are the ones that take effect. The NCAA doesn't have a play in this, and there is no standard tiebreaker for a three-way tie because... When, foot, when you're in football and you only play each team once, there's no good way to break a three-way tie. There are only various shades of bad ways, and it's basically which bad way did your conference choose to do this? Yeah, my favorite one is probably aggregate results in the in the head-to-head. -head. So you take the, the teams, all three teams will be one-on-one -one against each other, and if um, or margin of victory, however you want to call it. If one team won by 14 and lost by three, and that means the other team lost by one by three and then has a different result. And basically, you know, the team's plus 11 and another team is middling. Another team is, is minus something. You take the team that's plus 11. But there was a year, 2003, maybe, where East Texas Baptists. Deacon of Texas. 
Harden Simmons and Mary Harden Baylor all tied and there was a scenario where Harden Simmons had won a game and did not need to attempt an extra point. Am I recalling this right? And then the point that yeah. they didn't <laughs> score yeah. ended up being the point that uh, that that helped them not clinch the playoffs. So um, there, that's one of the bad ways. That's the best of the bad ways. There are other <laughs> there are other ways to do it. So you'll look at these lists, and and you do have to go to your own conference's website, look for a three way tiebreaker uh, if they're a well run conference. Hopefully, it's listed somewhere on the site. And sometimes you'll see the list go down to like seven things, like. Um, It'll be like results, points in conference games, uh, you know, aggregate margin of victory, the team that lost furthest down in the tie, although that's usually for four and five team tiebreakers. And then you get to like number six, coin flip, or number seven, Rose Bowl rule, Rose which Bowl is rule. the team that hasn't gone to the playoffs in the longest. I haven't been there for the longest time. Just gets the bid, which you'd like for it to be decided by something that happens on the field. So I really only, I really only get frustrated when it's uh, when it's the coin flip or the or the Rose Bowl rule. But when you get that far down, it means the teams were super even and there wasn't a whole lot to split them up. There's definitely some uh, opportunities for three way ties, and uh, when they come up, we will deal with them on later podcasts. And now we're joined on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast by Greg Thomas, who, you know, doesn't really have an official title with D3Football.com other than, like, Chief Bracketologist. So I hope that that's a title that works for you. Uh, if, you know, if you ever feel like you need to retire and step back and come back, we could call you Senior Bracketologist like we do with uh, Keith. But, uh, you know, I think Chief Bracketologist for now should probably do. That sounds good to me. But, you know, down the road, maybe senior bracketologist bracketologist emeritus way way down the road we'll see we'll see how it goes yeah i think a senior bracketologist for when we have a bracketology team that would be uh that makes sense or bracketology manager um right now it's just like bracketology senior specialist but we really appreciate you <laughs> specializing in this because it is very important and it's one thing that i don't have to do so i'm very appreciative of that tell us a little bit for the uninitiated and we have to presume that there are uninitiated people on every podcast what are regional rankings and how are they different from the d3football.com top 25 take it away all right so the regional rankings are a group of rankings one through ten uh created for each of the four geographic regions east west north and south uh each of those regions has a committee of coaches and uh, conference, conference commissioners, SIDs, those are the kinds of people, not SIDs, ADs, uh, who are involved in ranking teams one through 10 in those regions. Uh, those rankings are guided by a set of selection criteria. There are primary criteria that are spelled out very directly and secondary criteria also spelled out very directly. You can find those in the playoff FAQs on the website or probably uh, linked in the show notes of this podcast. I'm making a note to link them in the show notes of this podcast. Yeah, at a super high level, right? It is first, of course, only games against Division Three opponents. These days, there's not a lot of uh, games against non-D3 schools. Uh, so D3 strength of schedule, which uh, is a calculation that may differ from how a top 25 voter might perceive strength of schedule 
And then, you know, uh, games against regionally ranked opponents, uh, games head-to-head or common opponents, uh, that sort of thing. A lot of things in football, which we don't have a lot of since we only have 10 games. Yes. And I think it's also important to note people who are looking at our mock rankings uh, from the website yesterday. Today, they may see some oddities in those rankings uh, if they're comparing to the top 25. And I think it's important for everybody to uh, either know if this is your first time to this or reminder for those who are who have seen it before that the top 25 voters are not constrained by any particular criteria win percentage strengths of schedule wins against other ranked teams the top 25 voters have freedom to vote however they want based on whatever personal criteria they may have the regional committees do have criteria that they are um constrained by a little bit i guess and that's why you that's why you might see uh certain teams that are unranked and not receiving votes in the top 25 ranked in these rankings ahead of teams that might be receiving votes or ranked. I'm going to start in the North region. And of course there's lots of baggage about the North region regional rankings. We're going to start with some of the basic stuff. Like people are going to look at hope being ranked third, North central being ranked fourth and think that that's odd. Just kind of take us through the resume of these two schools. Yeah, so if you look at Hope and North Central and you compare their primary criteria, they have identical 6-1 and records, so the win percentages are the same. Hope has a slightly higher strength of schedule right now than does North Central, and Hope is also 2-0 and against regionally ranked teams. They've defeated Aurora and Olivet, both of whom we have ranked in the North region. North Central is 1-1 against regionally ranked teams. They lost to our number two ranked North team, Wheaton, and, also to, and they beat our number nine ranked team, Wash U. Right now, uh, we look at this and see a slight edge for hope, uh, but there are games to play, and these rankings are are more fluid than what you see in the top 25 as well. Uh, North Central has a game left against Milliken. Milliken beat Hope earlier in the season. If North Central beats Milliken, uh, results against common opponents are a primary criteria, and that's one that could uh, help North Central elevate above hope. Uh, as those results come in. Right. There's a lot of fluctuation uh, in that, of course, in, in some of the games that have yet to be played. And the strength of schedule number is going to change, too. This only ac- accounts for games that have already been played, and there's still you know three games left on just about everybody's schedule. Yes, and the, the strength of schedule number is, is one that can and will fluctuate uh, quite a bit, actually, as particularly if teams play undefeated teams or winless teams you can see those numbers move by 30 or 40 points from week to week so uh you know the the strength of schedule and how that looks really strong one week for a team hope can go play finlandia and i know that i think they've already done that but hope can go play finlandia and have that strength of schedule number come way way down the next week and create uh shuffling in the rankings over in the West, I can hear the uh, roars of approval from the folks in and around Collegeville, having uh, St. John's number one, UW-Whitewater number two. When you lay out the numbers like this, it seems pretty obvious, right? Uh, St. John's with a better strength of schedule right now with an extra win against a regionally ranked opponent that also helps. Yes, it does. And this, I, We were in this situation last year with St. John's and Wisconsin-Whitewater, watching these two at the very top of the West rankings. Um, 
whoever ends up winning this race for the number one seed or for the number one ranking in the West is likely going to be uh, named a number one seed in the tournament. And that means they get to play all of their games at home, which is obviously a huge deal for teams that far West, particularly St. John's. If they don't get to play at home, they have to fly all over the place eventually to play last year that got them down to Belton in a quarterfinal game. Uh, But on 2019, uh, St. John's through this week looks very good in the number one spot, but St. John's, you know, they they're through the more difficult portion of their schedule. They've defeated Bethel. They've defeated St. Thomas. Uh, they've defeated Gustavus Adolphus. Uh, they've defeated St. Olaf. So their strength of schedule is probably at a high water mark right now. And they don't have any more opportunities to pick up. Uh, wins against ranked teams at this point. And one of them that they do have, we have Gustavus Adolphus as a ranked win for them. Gustavus Adolphus has some challenging games coming up as well. They may, uh, they may slip out. Whitewater, on the other hand, they've got games left with lacrosse and Wisconsin Oshkosh. Their strength of schedule is probably, um, if not raised, it's not going to move too much from where it is right now. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the West region evaluates those two teams week over week as their profiles uh, change a little bit over time because they are very close. That's another one of the things that plays into this, right? Uh, Your results against regionally ranked opponents are very much obviously dependent on who is actually regionally ranked. So if for whatever reason, you know, the West region chair uh, or committee chose not to rank Gustavus Adolphus in this first ranking and, you know, ranked, I don't know, someone like Lake Forest or Central instead, uh, then that would change St. John's numbers and they don't have quite nearly the advantage over Whitewater as they do right now in this mock-up. That's correct. And that's, you know, that's always something to watch is uh, the the ripple effect of who gets ranked at the 8, 9, 10 spots in these rankings can impact uh, the teams that are ranked higher up and can end up having an impact on who gets seated where eventually, Uh, you know, it's, we look at the, we look at the regional committees in these rankings and we, we sort of focus in on the top of them, but it's really, really important that they get the bottom of these rankings right as well, because there are huge ramifications. Let's look at the East here before we uh, before we ring off, because uh, there's obviously, you know, a couple of very key games here this weekend and then key games coming up. There's a lot of uh, again, back to the word fluidity, but there's a lot of uh, opportunities for uh, teams to shuffle around here as well. Yeah, we have Ithaca ranked number two right now behind Salisbury. Ithaca has two really big games left, one against Union this weekend uh, for the Liberty League championship and another one in week 11 uh, that they had to move to a, a professional football stadium to play just a little, a little rivalry game there in, in New York. Those are two games against currently undefeated teams that Ithaca is going to receive a very large strength of schedule boost from Salisbury has the rest of their NJAC schedule to play. Uh, I believe right now Salisbury and Wesley are the only two NJAC teams with winning records. So, uh, the rest of the NJAC schedule isn't isn't going to boost Salisbury's case a whole lot. Uh, Ithaca 
uh, and also Cortland right behind them. Uh, you know, those two teams are going to play in week 11. If Cortland can get past Brockport this weekend and then, you know, go to the Cortica jug game undefeated, uh, those two are probably playing for the top seed. I, I feel like uh, Ithaca, Cortland are probably uh, in the best position to move past Salisbury. And there's probably not a lot Salisbury can do about it except hope that they lose. I was just impressed that you managed to uh, <laughs> reference or uh, acknowledge another Week 11 rivalry, all things considered. Hey, you know, when you branch out and you dabble around in all of the other regions, you know, I just got done, uh, you know, living in the east and mid-Atlantic, southish region for a while, and now I'm all the way out here in Southern California. So uh, my eyes have been open to rivalries all over the country, not, not just the Milan Bell game. That's definitely part of our goal here, Keith, is to open people's eyes to the things that are happening around the country, not just in your own conference. But uh, we went through with this uh, mock regional ranking process, and that leaves us you know, at the next step. If we were to do a full mock bracket, we would have probably more than an hour and a half on this podcast, and you don't want to hear us go through the bracketing itself. But I, I think the you know once left here, what Pool C might look like, Either if the season ended today or if, you know, we go through some of the logical, logical results that have left to happen, I think is probably the best way to do that. Yeah. And right now, Pat, there are far more than five teams that look like they're deserving. There are of the of the five uh, at large bids. And there are also so many games right now in week nines, nine weeks, nine, 10 and 11. There are also so many games in weeks nine, 10 and 11 that will have an impact on not just conference championships, but these regional rankings that that uh, you and Greg discussed. And sometimes something as simple as a team that is right now the 11th or 12th team in a region bumping up into the 10th spot gives another team a, re- a result against regionally ranked opponents mm-hmm. that changes where they sit in the postseason and, and it gives them um, the playoff criteria they need to get into a better spot or maybe to get into the field. So there's a lot of moving parts in these next three weeks. And uh, if you stick with us, we'll, uh, we'll point you in the right direction of the games you should care about because you didn't know you cared about this Endicott Western New England game, but now you do. You didn't know you cared about Wartburg, Cohen Central and who wins that, but now you do. And, and we'll keep you, we'll keep you abreast. Yeah, and so what the committee does is they do a final set of regional rankings on Selection Sunday, and then they take out everybody who clinched an automatic bid. So you are left with all of the at-large candidates. One uh, is obviously at the top of each region, one from the east ranking, one from the north, one from the south, one from the west. And those four teams are compared against each other. It's not that they throw all at-large teams in and and start trying to compare all of them at the same time. So... If we were to go through and project out just a reasonable scenario, say in the East, that all three of the unbeaten teams go on and continue and win their conference championship, then Salisbury, Ithaca, and Cortland would be taken off of the board, and Wesley would be the team we're talking about from the East. Over in the North, if we kind of project out the logical results that will likely happen, I think we expect... North Central to beat Milliken, Milliken being a common opponent with Hope, which Hope lost to, North Central vaults Milliken, North Central being the top team on the board from the North. Uh, We go down to the South, I think if we expect Mary Harden-Baylor to beat Texas Lutheran, 
Not going to touch the Muhlenberg Johns Hopkins game. I think we'll just go with chalk that uh, chalk that one for the moment, uh, and that would leave us with Susquehanna as the top available team out of the South. And then we go down to the West. Uh, St. John's, Whitewater, Chapman, Wartburg, all in the driver's seat to win their conference championships, although all of them have key games remaining, as we do note and understand. Then you have Redlands, and then followed very closely by Platteville, followed very closely by Bethel uh, as all possible teams in Pool C. And I know I just named six teams, and we only have five spots. Already, that's a spot where somebody has to give. Uh, and that's that's where things get uh, interesting and where things get kind of uh, you, you get kind of the uh, the stress and the the grind of trying to figure these things out. Well, and I think you also could factor in that some of those six teams, one of them or more of them could lose in one of the next three weeks and drop itself out of Pool C. And you think, oh, wow, that solves the problem. Now we've got six viable candidates. One loses. Now we're down to five, except that some conference leader is going to lose and drop into to pool C into the discussion and, and to just pick one at random. Let's say Brockport beats Cortland. Yep. And then Cortland goes on to beat Ithaca, which, you know, now that Cortland and Ithaca are in separate separate conferences, the Empire and the Liberty League, that that rivalry game has no bearing on the playoffs, but it could, it could Cortland could need to win it if Brockport beats them this weekend and Brockport wins the Empire eight. Cortland could be a very viable pool C team, for instance. So that's just picking one out of the hat. Um, you know, we think we, you know, we'd like North Central's chances. Platteville uh, has a tough game this week in the WIAC. So they're, they're a, a super viable candidate with a 634 strength of schedule, two results against regionally ranked opponents. But you don't know uh, how their season ends up. And I think you can say the same thing um, for, for Bethel with the week 11 matchup with St. Thomas. St. Thomas not in the playoff picture, but well, could have a an impact on uh, not just whether Bethel gets in, but if it's able to knock Bethel out, St. Thomas could do somebody else around the country like a Susquehanna a favor. So there are a lot of moving parts still. And the, the key takeaway from what you said a few minutes ago, Pat, is that everybody's not dumped into the same pool. When you get to when you get to um, Selection Sunday, the committee will only be discussing the top team from each region at each time. So that, that way it's not a discussion of all 11 teams that seem to have a a pool C shot or however many teams it ends up being. They'll just discuss the top four. Then when they take one from each region, so they take the first team in, let's just say it's from the South, then the next team up from the South gets on the board and they discuss the next four. So, um, and then sometimes, you know, just how those two, those particular teams that are on the table at the time, how they match up with each other yeah. changes or matters because occasionally they'll have common opponents or, uh, or, strength of schedule profiles that will um, look better against one another than, than maybe a team that was previously on the board. Right. I mean, it's not impossible for if there are five teams chosen, it's not impossible for three of them to be from the West. It just will take some time to kind of stack them up and run them all through Susquehanna looking pretty good for the moment, uh, six and one uh, against division three, a six Oh one strength of schedule, uh, one result against the regionally ranked opponent. And that is a loss. So that is not in their favor. And of course their SOS is going to go down. They finished the season with Gettysburg, who's one and six McDaniels, three and four Moravian is, two, uh, sorry, not Moravian, but, uh, McDaniel Juniata is the other team I'm talking about. They're two and five. So, you know, those numbers are going to go down as well. But also, if you put like Susquehanna uh, side by side against Redlands, 
they're fairly similar in that they both have one loss. Uh, but Redlands has a win against their regionally ranked opponent. They have that win against Linfield, and Linfield looks destined to stay in through Selection Sunday. So that doesn't uh, look favorable for Susquehanna. Same thing if they're matched up with Platteville, and basically the same thing if they're matched up with Bethel. That's like three teams right there in the West that are all very similar to each other and would be, I think, ranked above Susquehanna if any of them were in the South. Yeah, and I think a couple of key takeaways, too, if you're looking at the the mock regional ranking on d3football.com and it looks like just a string of numbers to you, let's quickly make sense of the numbers because the five primary criteria are winning percentage, head-to-head common opponents, and those three usually um, sort themselves out very obviously, and then strength of schedule and the results against regionally ranked opponents. Those are the ones where people need a little more help understanding. So if you look at a number and you just see 601, is that good or bad? Pretty much any strength of schedule, 500 is is the middle of the road. So anything below 500, not good. Anything above 500 uh, is a little better. And obviously you start seeing these strength of schedule numbers that are in the 600s. Those are all really solid strength of schedule numbers. So Platteville, Redlands, Susquehanna, all currently over um, 600. Uh, you know, that and they the, those numbers will change. Wesley is also in that group that has a really high strength of schedule number. Those numbers will change as teams play their week 9, 10, and 11 games. And if you have three easy opponents left, well, that's great because you're probably going to win three more games. But your strength of schedule number may plummet. Um, and that strength of schedule number is, is two-thirds your opponent's winning percentage and then one-third your opponent's opponent's winning percentage. So it matters who you play and which conference you play in. Um, that that's basically the easiest way to make sense of that number is the further you are above 500, the better you are. And then the other way to make sense of the other number, of course, uh, results against regionally ranked opponents is by looking at these regionally ranking regional rankings. This mock one that you did, seeing who else you've played that's in there, and remember the key word there is results against regionally ranked opponents. So it's certainly good to have wins over regionally ranked opponents, but it's better to have played two really good teams and lost than to have played no regionally ranked teams at all. Absolutely true. We're going to move on and talk about our games to watch. But before I do so, I just wanted to mention uh, these are the criteria of the teams that got at-large bids last year. Uh, these were all teams that were 9-1 uh, and one or had won a Division three loss in some way, shape, or form. John Carroll had a, a strength of schedule of 538. Harden Simmons, 516. Center, 579. Muhlenberg, 536. Bethel, 544. And then the teams that were left on the table, Ithaca had a 556 SOS, but they had two losses. Uh, Wabash was 9-1, but they had a 484 SOS. Uh, Case Western Reserve, two losses and a 461 strength of schedule. Almost probably couldn't have even been in the final regional rankings for as little chance as they had of being selected. And then Linfield, which had one division three loss and a 565 strength of schedule uh, did not get in. They also had a non division three loss as well. And sometimes that comes in, in the secondary criteria. So before I know we will get even deeper into this as we go on, but as you are getting ready for your games on Saturday, those are the things to think about. It's time for games to watch. And finally, we are getting the game we have all been waiting for in the Centennial Conference, Johns Hopkins at Muhlenberg. Except this isn't the game we were expecting. 
Perhaps it's the game we deserve. I, I don't know about that yet. But what I do find interesting about this game is that to this point, Muhlenberg has been riding the wave of last year's playoff run, which involved a win on the road in a in a four versus five game at Delaware Valley, which was nine and one, and then a home win against Randolph-Macon. They beat the uh, number 16 team and the number 18 team in the country on the way to a national quarterfinal and a 28-point loss at Mount Union. So Muhlenberg started this season at preseason number eight and hasn't drifted much, just a little bit up to number six. The non-conference win is against TCNJ, which is two and five, all of which what I'm trying to say is uh, a lot of Muhlenberg's ranking resume is based off of where they started the season. Now, this year, uh, Michael Natkowski is having another great year at quarterback for Muhlenberg, 23 touchdowns and just two interceptions through seven games. Frankie Feaster having another great year up front on defense, 15 tackles for loss and four kick blocks as well. Opponents have only managed... 68.6 yards per game on the ground and 13 points per game against the Mules. This win uh, against a ranked team is an overtime win at home against Susquehanna. Johns Hopkins now basically reduced to playing spoiler here less than 12 months after playing Mountain Union well in the national semifinals, but they have a legitimate shot to uh, play spoiler, as I said, and then avoid the kind of drop-off which Wesley had last year. Johns Hopkins doesn't really have a path to the playoffs, but they have a path to making things more interesting down the stretch in the Centennial. And if you picked up that season preview that I, I did for Street and Smiths on behalf of uh, D3Football.com. There was a quote in there from Greg Chimera, if I if I recall correctly, uh, about the pressure of uh, being a semifinal team and thinking that you know maybe you can make the next step to the Stag Bowl this year, but also remembering that Division Three, it's such a tight squeeze to get into the postseason that you turn one or two of those close game results from wins into losses. Your 10 and 0 turns to 8 and 2. And suddenly, not only are you now not able to get back to where you were in the postseason last year, you can't even get into the postseason because right now, for, for Johns Hopkins, you're looking up at Muhlenberg and Susquehanna in your own conference, much less uh, trying to get to the board to be discussed, to be one of the four teams discussed uh, and, and pulled into the postseason. So, uh, for another game of the week, I'll let the good game hogs who speak after me have New York and Wisconsin and head out to Iowa for co at Wartburg. The Co-Hawks lost their opener 41-3 to a team that's barely above 500 right now. And yet co has a chance to win the ARC by beating Wartburg Saturday and central two weeks from now in the in between week, the Knights and Dutch play one another. So the ARC is going to have an interesting finish no matter how it happens. And it starts in week nine. Wartburg, which is unbeaten in rank number 12, actually fell behind Simpson 15-14 with eight and a half minutes left two weeks ago before rallying for two late touchdowns and making it look like it wasn't close. Last week, Coe scored on 14 and 16 play drives and held the ball for 35 minutes in a 10-7 win against that same Simpson team. The Knights, boosted by a robust running game, score nearly 49 points per game. Coe allows 16. That stat could be meaningless since nobody Co has played is quite on Wartburg's level. That's where I'm on my level. Likewise, the Knights have won four or five, but also the rivals are five and five in their past 10, which probably says more about the status of Co football in recent years than it does about the rivalry. What you'll see on Saturday is only chapter one of a three-part series that will decide the ARC and send one of Wartburg, Co and Central to the playoffs and likely the other two home. Now I'm going to send it to the homie, Adam Turr, to talk about the bigger of this week's Wyatt clashes. One of the more underrated performances of Week 8 was Wisconsin Lacrosse's annihilation of Wisconsin Oshkosh. 
Quarterback Evan Lewandowski has put up eye-popping numbers to lead the Eagles to a 5-1 start in Division Three play, but it was the defense that keyed the big win last week. The Eagles held the Titans to just 201 yards of offense, 11 first downs, and 3 of 15 on third down conversions, while adding two takeaways. They proved that their defense can win a game even when Lewandowski, just a sophomore, has his struggles. He passed for 352 yards and two touchdowns, but was also intercepted three times. He and Stevenson's Ryan Sedgwick are the youngest quarterbacks in the nation with at least 20 touchdown passes this season. The sophomore will face his biggest challenge against the third-ranked Warhawks. Whitewater is unbeaten, giving up just 13.3 points per game. But the dominant defense is most vulnerable in the secondary, yielding 232 passing yards per game. Part of that could be because Whitewater opponents are playing from behind, forced to throw late in the game. But the Warhawks' rush defense is dominant, and the Eagles are fine with that. A Wyack showdown comes down to the arm of a sophomore quarterback. The Eagles could spring the upset if Lewandowski can avoid turnovers and put the Warhawks' defense on its heels heading into the fourth quarter. Lacrosse running back Joey Stutzman will need to take the pressure off of his passer. No easy task against a defense that allows just 64 yards per game on the ground. Alex Pete and Jared Ware will run behind the Warhawks' offensive line and try to control time of possession for Whitewater, keeping the ball out of Lewandowski's hands. The likely scenario is the Wyack favorite getting out to an early lead, forcing the young quarterback to sling it. The Warhawks will pounce on every mistake the Eagles' defense makes, creating separation and setting themselves up nicely to claim a second straight conference championship. And now to take us to the heartland, we welcome back Greg Thomas. Part two of an HCAC trilogy to decide the conference's playoff qualifier gets underway Saturday afternoon when 6-1 Hanover makes the short trip over to the Queen City to take on 6-1 Mount St. Joseph. Rose Holman created a three-way race for the league title last week with a rain-soaked upset of Mount St. Joseph in Terre Haute, leaving Hanover as the lone undefeated team in conference play. Hanover comes in riding a six-game win streak after an opening week loss to center, and the Panthers are red-hot, outscoring their last three opponents by a score of 168-7. to But Hanover's league schedule is extremely backloaded as they will finish with games against Mount St. Joseph, Rose Holman, and then arch-rival Franklin. Chayton Tomlin headlines the Mount St. Joseph offense. There might not be a program passing record that Tomlin doesn't own or won't own before the end of the year, and as he goes, so go the Lions. Last week, Rose Holman was able to pressure Tomlin consistently, sacking him a season-high six times and holding his completion percentage under 50% for the only time this season. The weather should cooperate a little bit better with MSJ's pass-first offense. The question will be whether or not Hanover can apply enough pressure on Tomlin to force him off the mark in the same way that the engineers did a week ago. Hanover is currently the top-ranked defense in the HCAC, but Tomlin and the Lion offense provide a pretty significant step up in difficulty over Hanover's recent opponents. The Panthers do boast the 14th-ranked offense in the division with a healthy run-pass balance. Offensively, Hanover leans on the steady hand of quarterback Noah Wazenski. Wazenski completes 67% of his passes and is one of the most efficient passers in the division. Running back Sean Cohn is having a big year for the Panthers, rushing for over 120 yards per game and ranking in the top 11 nationally in touchdowns scored with 13. It seems unlikely that Tomlin is going to be held to a single score two weeks in a row, so Wazenski and Cohn will need to continue their solid play this weekend to keep up with that Lion offense. Saturday's result goes a long way in untangling the HCAC's automatic bid. A Mount St. Joseph win and the Lions stay on track for at least a share of the title pending Week 10's Hanover-Rose-Holman game. 
A Hanover win puts the Panthers on the brink of clinching a playoff spot, needing only to dispatch the Engineers next week to seal their second consecutive trip to the postseason. And to preview every game in the East region this weekend, we send it out to Frank Rossi. From In the Huddle and D3Football.com, I'm Frank Rossi. Today I'm doing the equivalent of an audio daily double as I preview two crucial games being played 25 minutes away from each other. First, at 1 p.m., the Liberty League Championship will be played between number 8 Ithaca and Union. For all of the talk of Joe Germanario and Will Bellamy, the quarterbacks for Ithaca and Union respectively, the key to both teams' big wins have seemed to be their defensive units. Ithaca has averaged about two and a half turnovers per game, with linebacker Nick Carone and defensive back David Nieto combining for eight of their 17 turnovers this season. Union has collected 15 turnovers, or just over two per game, but the distribution is more scattered for their team. One key for Union will be ball control, though, as the Dutchmen have lost nine fumbles this season. They cannot commit any major unforced errors that would give Germanario a short field to score on, as he can score quickly. In the second quarter against St. Lawrence and Rochester, Ithaca has scored nine touchdowns combined in that quarter alone. The other game I'll preview is number 18 Cortland hosting Brockport at 2 p.m. Brockport, like Wesley this season, seemed like a team destined to be out of the conversation by midseason. Yet after the big loss at Hobart in Week 1, Brockport has rolled up six straight wins with their defense routinely giving up negative rushing yards. The problem is that Brockport hasn't faced a team this highly ranked this season, and freshman phenom quarterback Freddie June will need to manage the best game of his short career to keep the winning streak alive. Cortland, on the other hand, has experience under center with Brett Segala, who led his team through a tough St. John Fisher game last week. But the key to victory the last two weeks for Cortland has not been the offense as much as special teams as they've accounted for three touchdowns in the last two games alone. Most would give Cortland an edge in this game as they were just yards away from defeating Brockport last year when Joe Germanario was still with the Golden Eagles. As Segala told the ATN podcast a week ago, that game, along with two other close games in 2018, left an indelible mark on the Red Dragons coming into 2019. So why are these games so important? Obviously, with Union, Ithaca, and Cortland all in positions to clinch a playoff berth Saturday, the games would end two conference races potentially. However, they both have deep national and regional Pool C implications. If Ithaca beats Union, Union's poor strength of schedule may hinder them from being able to contend for a Pool C bid because they'll be behind a number of East Region teams. If Cortland beats Brockport, Brockport would likely be eliminated from Pool C contention as well. So teams that might need a Pool C bid outside of this foursome should be rooting for the Cortica participants to win since both Cortland and Ithaca stand Pool C chances even with a loss this Saturday. Back to two guys who will be seeing the Cortica jug for themselves in two weeks, Pat and Keith. Yeah, that's true and very good point. Uh, Cortland also has its uh, destiny in its own hands on Saturday. They can clinch the Empire 8 automatic bid with a W. It's time for On the Spot, and uh, On the Spot is our little game show segment of the Around the Nation podcast, the Friday podcast. And Keith, uh, I guess I could have put you on the spot to ask you which teams will uh, be able to clinch an automatic bid on Saturday, but that's already been covered. So instead, I have a game for you, which is called Al Mullen. Interesting. And so Al Mullen it means that you are going to give me... Uh, winners in two Division Three football games, but you have to mispronounce both team names. 
as if you were a random fan of Division Three who doesn't know teams outside of his area, or maybe an ESPN broadcaster. So the hence the uh, name of this game comes from Al, as in Al Gahaney, and Mullen, as in Mullenberg, which is that uh, famous slash infamous 2003 selection show on ESPN News where the anchor just started making stuff up and couldn't pronounce names. Well, look, if you only follow D3 for 10 minutes before a show a year, it is hard to nail all 247 pronunciations. So, uh, you know, I, I, I've mispronounced a thing or two on this show uh, before, and I understand. Uh, I, got, I got a winner right off top I can mispronounce for you uh, in spirit of on the spot because it's the one really intriguing conference race that we haven't talked about yet on this podcast and it's that's the one in the north coast we are headed north which has four to five teams still alive a big game this week when denison <laughs> is gonna play depaul 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 uh denison is uh hosting depaul and uh and depaul still has a chance to um potentially win the conference play spoiler on, in week 11 in the Mona Bell game, uh, Wabash in the mix there as well. But but Denison is uh, is at home and is also the defending conference champ. And I think um, given what, what DePaul did in the rain uh, at Allegheny last week, which, of course, um, you know, sometimes you could you can throw out a result like that and eight, six game. Um, and they were they were gritty enough or however you want to put it to, to pull out a win in the rain. But, uh, but Denison's been playing really well since it's 34 20 loss at Wabash back at the end of September. It's the only blemish on the schedule. The big red are six and one. They haven't played the toughest um, competition. You know, they've had uh Hiram, they've had Oberlin already uh, earlier in the season. So there are some, some fairly easy wins, but um they, uh, they were impressive at Wittenberg last week. And remember, last year, that was the 68-66 game. Um, but obviously, faces have changed, and they're a brand-new quarterback um, at, uh, at Denison. Uh, they beat Wittenberg 24-14 last week. They have uh, DePaul, again, you know, uh, Denison 6-1. and DePaul is 4-3, and but 4-2 and in conference, still in the mix. Denison, Ohio, Wesleyan, Wabash, all 5-1. and North Coast games, DePaul and Wittenberg, four and two. So I'd call it a five-team race at this point. We'll get a little bit of clarity when uh, when DePaul, when D. Powell and Denison play on Saturday. So that's uh, that's one answer. So there's another somewhat interesting uh, conference race, and it's it's not that interesting at the top because I think uh, Wheaton is in pretty good shape in the CCIW, having already beaten North Central. But there are my counting is bad. There are six teams with winning records in the CCIW. The CCIW now has uh, now has ten teams, and so that that threw me off a little bit because I'm so I remember in the days when the CCIW was an eight team conference, and it still had a bunch of teams with winning records. But uh, Augustana is is a team that was mentioned not by name earlier in the podcast. Augustana is the team that beat Co. forty one three to start the season. They've uh, they've been hit or miss since, actually alternating. Wins and losses since uh, since September 21st, and they're coming off a 40 to zero loss to Wheaton, which was a 111 point swing from their 71 zero win uh, against North Park the week prior. So I'm eager to see what Augustana does at Wash U 
on Saturday, and that would be Augustana. Um, although I'm going to have Ooh. to pick, I'm going to have to pick um, Washington University <laughs> to uh, to to win this one. Washu five and two uh, also had a bad loss to Wheaton and a bad loss to North Central, but has been pretty strong otherwise, and uh, and has been defensively strong in their wins. Uh, 21-0 against Illinois Wesleyan this past Saturday, but have given up 7-10-10-7 and 7 in their wins. So except when they're playing North Central and Wheaton, WashU has been pretty strong defensively, and I think uh, Washington, <laughs> Washington U will beat Augustana <laughs> on Saturday. See, I would have pictured it would be Augustana because I've, I've heard actual people say that. And then based on where you live and where I used to live, I was wondering if, uh, if Washington was just too close to a correct uh, regionalistic pronunciation that you couldn't use Washington U. I should have said that. That would, that would have been much better and also funnier. That's really annoying because there's no R in Washington. Exactly. All right. So uh, uh, wash you over Augustana. Yeah, so I picked Denison and Washington. Got it. My turn to put you on the spot, and this one should be relatively simple. In honor of Halloween, I need you to pick a game that will end with a score of 10-31, which is October 31st, or 31-10, as we sports freaks would, would call it. And then, in honor of the Nats Game 7 World Series win, coupled with the crap weather across swaths of the country, <laughs> I need you to give me a game that is likely to end with a 6-2 score. So give me a 31-10 and a 6-2. Well, okay. Well, at least it's not 4-3. That would have been uh, that have been very difficult to come up with. So, all right. right. And the and the series that was the series uh, the, the record. Exactly. Nothing like a nothing like a game seven. All right. For my 31 to 10 game, I think what I'm going to do is I am going to take Franklin and Marshall over Moravian by the score of 31 to 10. Uh, you know, F and M. It's been a little bit up and down this season. They did beat Johns Hopkins. Uh, they beat Lebval to begin the season, but they lost to Susquehanna, lost to Muhlenberg, maybe not unexpected, lost to Dickinson. And that is like uh, Conestoga wagon wheel going to Dickinson for the first time, and I'm not sure how long. So I'd have to think that uh, FNM's not particularly happy about that and is going to come out and have its way on the road with Moravian. As far as my 6-2 to two game, the first thing I did was I looked to see who TCNJ is playing, and they're playing Wesley, so I don't suspect that that is how that game is going to end up. What? Uh, where are we going to have more, more, bad weather? That was gonna, I was going to stall for time for you to pull up the weather report and say that uh, Wesley TCNJ is more likely to be 60-2 to two than 6-2. Than I'm going to go with... Um, uh, William Patterson beating Kane six to two, and this is mm. going to be William Patterson scoring the touchdown, Kane blocking the extra point, and returning it ninety eight or whatever yards for the defensive two point conversion. Because as long as we're talking about a game that's going to be six to two, we might as well make it a, as outlandish as possible. Yeah, that was nice. That was very creative. There are some uh, some offensively inept teams that you could have gone with. Uh, Beloit has scored forty six points to date on the season. There are uh, a handful of other teams. Oberlin has scored 20, Hiram 56 in seven games. So that's what, eight touchdowns in seven games. Uh, that's that's not good. Yeah, Hiram is you playing know. Allegheny, so that's a definite possibility. Beloit is playing Ripon, and I don't see any combination of weather that makes that a 6-2 to two game unless they only play 30 minutes. 
North Park, the uh, aforementioned 71-0 loser, has just 52 points on the season. But, yeah, again, you're right. You, to get a 6-2 game, you need a, a two teams that are going to cooperate, and I think looking for the bad weather was probably your best bet. Could have also gone, uh, tried to see who Capital was playing, although Capital has not looked like they would hold anyone to six points at any point in the season, although they do look very likely, uh, given that they've been shut out three consecutive weeks, uh, very likely to, uh, to, to score two, potentially, in a game. Well, that was on the spot. Here is our opportunity to uh, check ourselves, lest we wreck ourselves with a spot check. Keith was asked last week on podcast number 253 to pick two teams to win whom he has not seen, and he picked Union to defeat Buffalo State. He picked Middlebury over Bowdoin. Both of those uh, ended up correctly. When asked to pick a team he has seen multiple times to lose a game, Keith picked Pacific Lutheran, which did lose to Linfield on Saturday, but uh, Keith couldn't provide any actual evidence that he had seen PLU twice in person. My mother did go to PLU's bookstore and and buy me a PLU shirt, though. So I've seen them play at least once, and my mother has been to campus. I feel like that's a that's a degree of separation. Uh, Keith, that count doesn't count. On the, doesn't count at all, does it? Probably not. But I got to ask: on the back of that jersey, did it have your name? No, it just said "Every Man a Loser." Uh, I was playing the rhyming game last Friday. I picked uh, St. Norbert over Lawrence and Mount St. Joseph over Rose Holman, but it's actually Bose Dolman, which defeated Count Ain't Bros. Yep, so I didn't even get both of those winners. But you did cleverly rhyme, and that was really cool. All right, time for the random game. There's 112 games in NCAA Division Three football this weekend, and we have been given the random number of 50. And we've landed on the game between Adrian and Finlandia, which kicks off at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern on Saturday, November 2nd. Uh, We have to not only uh, preview this game kind of out of uh, thin air, but we also have to pick a rivalry trophy that it goes with or goes with it. Well, I'll start with the preview part of the game. Uh, The first thing to do when you are a not a person who follows the MIAA closely but is vaguely familiar with it is figure out which of the three A teams is having a good season. Uh, Adrian is three and four, two and two. Alma and uh, and Albion are uh, are also in the middle of the pack. They're they're five and two overall, and and this is a season where Hope and Olivet are at the top of the conference. So Adrian is the lowest among the the three A teams, but well ahead of Finlandia, which is zero and seven. Uh, the program. In, in Finlandia, which um, got off the ground. How many years has it been, Pat? Well, they started in 2015. It it does not feel like it's been only four years. It does feel like they've been around a little longer. But it's a super small school. Enrollment less than, than 400, actually less than 350. Um, it's up on the the northern peninsula, or upper peninsula, what the Michiganders called it, call it. Do they call themselves Michi- Michigander? Yeah, they do. Except for the guys, they uh, the women, they call themselves Michigese. I knew that was coming. Good Not job. true. Um, they have uh, Finlandia has struggled to score. Twelve is their high water mark. That they've scored, they've hit twelve in three losses. And for a team to hit twelve three times means their uh, their kicking game or their go for two game probably isn't all that great. Uh, they've also been shut out in two of the past um, three outings. So. As far as this being a super competitive game, this is probably Adrian's chance to get to 500, to to get right, to have a game where it it um, you know it just looks uh, looks good. 
Uh, Adrian struggled defensively in, in certain games this season as well, giving up 57 earlier in the year, 49, and now they, and they gave up 69 at Albion in a loss uh, last Saturday. So to go to Finlandia, and, and if they play well, um, you know, all three of their wins are three-point wins. So if they play well to get a win where they're they're not biting their their nails or uh, or you know tearing up the defensive playbook at the end of one, I think for Adrian that would be nice. What I need from you, Pat, is a rivalry trophy for this game. Well, Keith, I'm going to take a step outside the box a little bit, and I'm going to call this one the Blue Line Classic for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I look at the Finlandia Stadium shot uh, on our website, and it's beautiful. This is this beautiful green turf with the blue end zones and the uh, the blue circle in the middle at the uh, 50-yard line uh, for Finlandia. And Finlandia, their best sport, as you might expect, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan is ice hockey. Adrian is the only other team in the MIAA which sponsors ice hockey and has been a fairly prominent NCAA Division III uh, men's ice hockey program since it added the sport at D3 level uh, not all that long ago. So I'm going to go with the Blue Line Classic for Finlandia and Adrian and also kind of give away the fact that I don't know a ton of hockey terms. I'm just impressed that you didn't go, Adrian, and make some kind of weird Rocky reference or a Portlandia reference for your Adrian Finlandia trophy. The Blue Line Classic works for me. Yeah, that's uh, that's what the one-liners sound like. I rattle off five games and Keith responds, and we're going to start with WPI at MIT. This game's LIT. Just kidding. I, I think WPI between its 7-0, 4-0 record and the new Mac and a noon kickoff on Saturday could be the first team to clinch a spot in the D3 playoff field of 32 by beating MIT, which is 5-2 and two on Saturday. Pat, you mentioned that they would need a little bit of help for that to happen by Springfield losing as well. Uh, Bridgewater at Emory & Henry. The Eagles can't look past the Wasps toward their Week 10 clash with Randolph-Macon, which buzzed past Emory & Henry 20-17 back in Week 2. The Wasps have won five straight, and with a win, a three-way tie atop the Odak is still in play. Benedictine at Aurora. These Eagles and the fighting Don Beebe. Don Beebe caught him from behind. They're fighting for the NAC lead since each is 4-0 in conference. But Lakeland has both a conference loss and week 10 and 11 games against the teams clashing Saturday. So this game doesn't necessarily end it. Endicott at Western New England. We haven't paid the goals much attention since the three-point loss to Wesley, but they're unbeaten otherwise. They could take control of the CCC with a win in Springfield and perhaps set up a winner-take-all Week 11 game against Nichols. And in that case, they'd maybe be a road sleeper in the playoffs with the right round one matchup. And uh, Monmouth at the University of Chicago. There are just two weeks of NWC play left before the only conference title game in D3 in Week 11. Lake Forest and St. Norbert can hash out their part for the North representative in Week 10, but if Chicago wins, it would still need to beat Illinois College in Week 10 to clinch its spot. Mammoth has already beaten the Blue Bulls. The points don't matter. That's right, the points don't matter. It's called being a professional. Points don't matter. You play to win the game. And then I give them points. I don't know why, it's just a gag to tie the show together. Now, 
If you want to crown them, then crown their ass. And of course, Quick Hits is our weekly Friday look at the upcoming set of games with six people giving answers to six questions in an attempt to give you some sort of opinions about what could happen on Saturday in Division Three football. And five people last week correctly picked the game of the week. It's hard to say anything other than Harden-Simmons at Mary Harden-Baylor was the game of the week last week. But uh, Greg Thomas did provide a second option in UW Oshkosh at UW Lacrosse, which Lacrosse won 31-3. In the matter of top 25 upsets, only Ryan Tips was correct. He picked none. I think that might be the first time that someone's picked none and been right because none of the top 25 teams got upset on Saturday. And no honorable mentions to any of us who picked Cortland or picked Wesley. And then picking one loss teams to pick up their second loss and have their playoff hopes essentially dashed. Everybody who has been on this podcast this week, I mean the three people who were interviewed live, correctly picked Harden Simmons and nobody else had a correct pick. We were all also asked to pick which WIAC game would be the closest and the correct answer was Stout against Stevens Point. Pat and Greg got that one correct. The rest of us picked that Oshkosh lacrosse game that was mentioned earlier. And lastly, we were all asked to pick teams in orange and black that would win. Everyone came away a winner. As Hendricks, Lewis and Clark, and Ohio Northern all won last Saturday. That was in honor of Halloween. Kate Mulgrew would be so proud. Do you think people are getting the oranges and new black reference or not? I think they are now. I have to beat them over the head with it. Anyway, you can see this week's quick hits on the website by noon-ish on Friday. And uh, before we go, Keith's predictions. Back to pass, looking in the near corner for Nap, and it's intercepted! Zahar at the goal line, returning it to the 30. Six games for the pick six, and we start with Otterbein at Capital. Otterbein. Misericordia at Lycoming. Ooh, uh, Battle for the old rocking chair. Do I have to tell you that's Hamilton at Middlebury? You did have to tell me, um, and I'm going to go Middlebury. Uh, Austin College at Birmingham Southern. I like our podcast guest from a few weeks ago uh, on this one, Birmingham Southern, but that'll be a good game. Uh, Saul Ross at Howard Payne. Saul Ross being the one who has to make the trip, although this is a relatively short trip by uh, by comparison to some of them. At Howard Payne, uh, we'll go with the Yellow Jackets, uh, our Yellow Jacket brother. And that is Howard Payne. And then uh, Union at Ithaca. Boy, oh boy. Big game. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with um, how I have these teams ranked in the top 25. And I have Ithaca right around the 10 spot and Union a little closer to number 20. But, I, I mean, that should be a good one. Uh, I think uh, it'll be Ithaca's best challenge to date, but uh, but we'll see. Look forward to watching that one and keeping an eye on everything else that goes on on Saturday in Week 9 in NCAA Division Three football. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast number 255, released on November 1st of 2019. Thanks for listening and keeping an eye on the rest of this coverage throughout the weekend. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or, you know, send us some cash. That's okay, too. That will help other football fans find it. And you can leave comments for us on a specific episode on the blog page. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook as well. 
The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by David Q. Our theme music and much of the other music on this podcast is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at djmentos.com. Thanks to our correspondents, Adam Turr, Greg Thomas, and Frank Rossi for their time on this edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You know, when you said all the fee music is by DJ Mentos, I'm still waiting for you to do the the Patty McFerrin <laughs> version of it. Then then you'll have to give yourself some credit. It'll be a DJ Mentos interpolation by Pat's vocal talents. So Keith is not kidding. Uh, I played for him a preview of that, uh, of me, Bobby McFerrining, the, uh, the open to this podcast. I've got three tracks laid down. I figure that's about a third of the way through. Uh, and, you know, in my copious spare time this time of year when I'm not putting out a, a D3Hoops.com top 25 or, you know, going to work or answering the doorbell for trick-or-treaters, that is something I could try to finish. And having a job really slows down your, your extracurriculars. I'm just telling you. There'll be a time to, uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect but now's not the time.